today, we're going to be talking about exactly that. We are going to be talking about paradise. Now, if I haven't met you before, my name is Tom. I live in Sydney, so I apologize for that. But I did uh, marry a girl who used to live in Terrigal. So thank you guys so much for producing wonderful people. Hey? I have great taste. All right. But thank you so much. There should be a picture of us uh, coming up on the screen so you can do your all thing. We'll go three, two, one. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I promise I was cool once. I was once. Uh. No, so we're going to be talking about paradise. And hey, honestly, I love coming up to the coast to visit you guys. This is my second time up here at EV Youth. And so if you're kind of new tonight, if you're fresh here for Double Up, we're all kind of new, so we can all hang out together. Uh, But I love coming up. I went for a surf out at Wombrel before I came over. And I was like, man, the central coast... And maybe your life feels like this sometimes too. It really does feel a bit like paradise. We can totally get rid of that picture. It sometimes does feel exactly like paradise, doesn't it? Because, you know, sometimes the sun's out and you're feeling it on your skin and it's warm. And you can hear the sounds of laughter and you're smelling like the salt coming off the ocean. And maybe you had a really good day and you're like, hey, I was at school and I cracked this awesome joke and now I'm the hero of the class and like that guy or that girl seems to actually kind of know I exist right now and like my sports team is three from three and like there's this big party going on the weekend and you got an invite and maybe even you're like, man, my skin has just forgotten what acne is and I'm just having a great day, you know what I mean? Sometimes... It feels like life on the coast, and maybe your life, actually is paradise, right? But then there are other days, and the sky's grey, and all you can smell is the busted sewer down the road, and all you can hear is some random construction site going on, and there's a party going on the weekend, but you didn't get the invite. And that guy or that girl doesn't actually seem to know you exist and your sports team's doing horribly and you tried to crack this killer joke but everyone didn't really like it and now they think you're the class idiot. And your face is like, hey, I remember what acne is. And you're like, oh, this is the worst day ever. Because sometimes your life feels like paradise but other times it just totally doesn't. And if we're thinking about paradise tonight, is my life paradise. Sometimes it feels like yes, and sometimes you're like, ah, yeah, it's, it's really not, is it? Maybe though, for some of you guys, you're like, you know what? My life's not paradise now, but it will be paradise when I finish school, because then I'll get freedom. Then I'll get to do what I want. I'll get to move out. I'll get to actually earn some money. And like, I'll get to just do what I want. Some of you guys are like, yeah, I'm going to get on a train and go down to Sydney. And some of you are like, I'm never leaving the coast in my life. And you're really excited about the fact that you're going to finish school. And maybe paradise will kick in at the moment you go for schoolies and you go to surface paradise and all just be kind of uphill from there. But just to be real with you, You don't have to look at many people who have finished school to know that, well, you know, some things are sweet, but it's not paradise because all that money that you spend on rent, you actually have to earn, and that means you have to do something that you wouldn't otherwise do, and you have to get on a train and go down to Sydney, which is like the pits, and all of you still get sick, there's relational tension, still it happens, you're still not as attractive as you wish you were, 
just because you finish school doesn't mean your life is going to be paradise. We have to be real that sometimes life is awesome, but sometimes you really have to acknowledge that our life right now is not paradise. And that's why what we're talking about tonight is such a big deal. Because we're going to look at that little bit of the Bible that Vinnie read for us just before. Jesus reckons paradise is real. And he knows it's not right now. Do you, do you understand the significance of what Jesus is on about? Where he's going, man, I'm talking about paradise and I reckon I can get you there, is what Jesus would say to us. The stakes tonight are such a big deal because if you miss it, you don't just miss out on paradise, but don't think for a second about the opposite. And you go, man, the stakes of what Jesus said are so big. I'm going to pray. If you're a praying person, you pray with me. I pray that God would actually use what we're about to do right now. You can bow your heads. Um, God, some of us walked in here tonight not really knowing, uh, not really believing, just being all kind of unsure about all this God, Jesus, heaven, hell, paradise stuff. Would you please help us to connect with you and to get it? Would you help some of the people to walk out of here tonight connected to you and having asked you to remember them? Please, God, make that happen. And with a big, loud voice, we all said, Amen. Good job. All right, so let's try and understand that little bit of the Bible. And I've got these little crosses up here to help us out. Because what's happening in this short story is there's three people, and each of them has their own cross. They're up on a hill, and they're getting crucified. So they've got like nails through their wrists and nails through their feet. And this first guy... He's got something to say about it. He's got like 24 hours left to live. So you could call this guy Criminal One, but if you want to be really easy, we can just call him Fred. We're going to call him Fred, okay? So Fred over here, he's got like 24 hours left to live, and he's with this other criminal, and he's with Jesus, and he turns to them. If you've got a Bible, you can see what he says. He says, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. And says as well that he hurled insults at Jesus. I don't think he's physically hurling anything, but he's hurling his words at Jesus. And that's what Fred reckons about the whole situation. Now let's go to the second guy. We can call this guy criminal number two, or you can call him Johnny just to simplify. Gary? We'll go with Gary. So Gary... <laughs> so Gary's over here, and Gary's like, hey, I've got something... Very different to say about this whole scenario. You can read it in your Bible. What does he say? Well, first he says something to Fred, right? He says, Oi, Fred, don't you fear God? That's an important phrase. Don't you fear God since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, he's talking about Jesus, has done nothing wrong. And then he turns to Jesus and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, I've got two questions that we're going to do tonight. Once the two questions are done, that's how you know it's kind of over. We're going to jump straight to the first question. It's going to come up on 
the screen. It kind of comes out of, let's go, yeah, that's perfect. It kind of comes out of the first thing that Gary says to Fred, right? He turns to him and he's like, don't you fear God since we are under the same sentence. Or the, so, because we are under condemnation, because we're guilty. So I don't know how much you know about crucifixion, right? But in crucifixion, you don't get there for doing something small. You only get there for doing something epic, right? So like Gary did not get crucified because he stole a loaf of bread. And like um, Fred did not get crucified just because he like did something on the back of the toilet door at school or something, right? They must have like murdered someone. They must have done something huge. And that's why this, the, uh, the second criminal is like, hey, don't you fear God since you are under the same sentence. Right? He's like, hey, I get it. We're guilty. We actually deserve to be here. And God's a scary guy. And you and me, we're about to die. We've got like 24 hours, much less to live. And we're going to stand before the God of the universe. And he's going to judge us. And that's actually super scary. Question for you, sitting in your seat right now. Are you under the same sentence as well? Are you also under condemnation? See, sometimes when I read bits of the Bible, here's a little tip for you if you're a Bible reader, uh, is that sometimes you want to go, hey, who am I most like in this story? Which character am I supposed to identify with? And I'm thinking here, I'm like, am I, supposed, am I kind of like Jesus? Probably not. Am I like the guys who have put them on the cross here? Probably not. Well, I think who I'm actually most like in this story, and so I presume it's the same for you, is I'm like Gary and I'm like Fred. Because I am also under the same condemnation. I also need to fear God. And you're thinking, Tom, what do you mean? I'm not like these guys. I'm not strapped to a cross. Tom, what do you mean? I'm sitting on this chair in Aaron in 2017. Tom, it's not the Middle East 2,000 years ago. Tom, what do you mean I'm under the same condemnation? Tom, why are you talking to yourself? Okay, let's move on. Now, do you get what I'm saying, right? What you need to know is that you're kind of like these guys on the cross, and I'm kind of like these guys on the cross because we are also going to stand before God, and He is also going to judge us. And the appropriate response for us is also to fear God. Question for you do you fear God? Do you fear God? Let's talk about fear. I have many phobias. In life, I'm scared of heaps of stuff. The first thing I'm scared of is snakes, right? I am so, do we have any other snake fearers out there? Good. I am so scared of snakes. One time I went to Vietnam with my family and we went to like this zoo where they get you to take pictures with the animals. And so they brought out this, I kid you not, like five meter long snake and it was like this thick. And they're like, hey, I've got this mad idea. Why don't you put it on your shoulders and we'll take a picture? And I was like, I'm totally out of here. This is the worst idea I've ever heard of. So I'm so scared of snakes. My sister owned a snake. She had like this little thing and it lived in like a box in our house. And so anytime I annoyed her when I used to live at home, she would be like, hey, when you're sleeping, I'm going to bring my snake and it's going to go in your bed. And I was like, I'll stop, I promise. <laughs> I'm so scared of snakes. I wonder what you're scared of. I'm scared of massive waves. 
because there have been so many times where I've like paddled out over-ambitious and overestimating my own ability. And like this big one, you get in the wrong spot and like this big wave comes and you're like thrown around and you're trying to like drag yourself back to the top, working out which way is up. And you get your head up and you're like, and all you can see is this next big wave about to smash on your head. I'm so scared of big waves. I'm, I'm also scared of exams. I don't know if you guys, you've got some exam fearers out there. I'm so scared of exams. You know that feeling, right? You walk in and you're like, yeah, I kind of prepped for this, I guess. And you look at the exam paper and like, it's this long essay question. And you have no idea what half of the words in that mean. And you're like, did we even study that book? Like, I don't know what you're talking about here. And you know that you're going to get judged for whatever you write on that piece of paper. I'm scared of lots of different things. You probably are too. But I wonder if you fear God. Doesn't it make heaps more sense to fear God? Because we know that he actually made the world, and I didn't. And I actually live in his his world, breathing his air. But so much of the time, I live as if he didn't exist. We call that sin. And hey, if you need anything clear from the Bible to tell us that if we were going to stand before God, it wouldn't go well for us. In Romans 3.23, it says that all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. That's you, me, that's the nice nana, that's everyone you have ever met fall short. And so all of us ought to fear God. Question for you, are you under condemnation. Do you fear God? I've got three reasons why you might not fear God. We'll go through them one by one. Maybe for you, you say, no, I don't fear God because I'm not that bad, right? Like if I stood before God, he'd probably go, hey, mate, you're not perfect, but you know what? Not that bad. So no big deal, right? That's how he would see me. So why would I Fear God. And you know, especially, I'm definitely not as bad as him. I'm definitely not as bad as her. And so why would I need to fear God? If that's you, you need to know that God's standards, they're absolute and not relative. See, an absolute standard is like there's actually a bar and it doesn't move no matter who's trying to jump over it. A relative standard, it moves based on like who's jumping And relative judgment is like, hey, are you better than him or better than her? Absolute judgment is what God uses, and it's the glory of God. Did you hear that verse before, Romans 3? He said, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's an absolute standard. And so to be honest, it doesn't heaps matter whether you're better or worse than anyone around you. God's standard is absolute. And I would, I would say, you need to fear God. God's heaps scary. Second thing, second reason you might not fear God. You might say, I don't fear God because, well, does God even exist? Like, I don't usually come to this kind of EV thing, but my mate brought me along. I don't, does God exist? I don't even know. Why should I fear this God thing? It doesn't, it's just a concept. If that's you, totally fair point, but... I need you to know that I was doing the stats a little bit earlier this week. And just give it a Google. Over 80% of the world reckon there's a God. 
You know, they have discussions about what that God is like. and Over 80% of the world reckons there's a God. And there's some funny stats in the middle, but then only 7% of the world would say they're atheist or agnostic. 7%. So if you're going to put yourself in that category, I would just advise you to be super certain about that. Because you're in a world-class minority there. Do you reckon God's real? Do you reckon we need to fear Him? Third and final reason that you might not fear God, it's actually a little bit different. You might say, man, I don't fear God because I'm a Christian. And didn't He die for me? And doesn't He love me? And didn't He forgive me? And so why do I need to fear God? Which is all true, and that's all such good stuff. But I wonder whether you noticed when we were in that song a little bit earlier, we sung Amazing Grace. That's actually one of the oldest Christian songs that we still use. It's actually a song that we sung at my wedding. And I love one particular line in that song. It goes like this. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved." You know the line? "'Twas grace that... Think about it for a second. It was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. What does that mean? It's a bit of a weird line. What it means is that until you get the fear of God, until you get that before God, you have nothing. Like you could stand before God, and he would be like, what have you got to bring to the table here? And you'd be like, oh, um, uh, I think I did something. And he'd be like, man, you, you fall short. What have you got to bring? And he'd be like, I guess, I guess I have nothing to bring to this. Until you get that it would be totally fair for God to judge you straight up and for God to judge me straight up. Until you get the fear of God, only then... Will you understand how big of a deal the grace of God is? It's grace that teaches our heart to fear and grace our fears relieves. You need to understand to fear God before you get how big of a deal the cross is. I hope it's okay that I'm talking a bit serious and a bit passionate tonight. This is something that I actually feel is true and this is something I actually feel is relevant for you. So let's move on to the third and the final character. We're moving towards the end of the talk now. So we've talked about the first criminal. We've talked about the second. We're going to talk right now about what Jesus in the middle says. And if you've got your Bible, it'll tell you in verse 42. See, the second guy has gone to him and Gary said, Yo, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus has said to him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. And so that leads to our second question, which is going to come up on the screen. This is the final question that I really want to ask you tonight. Is how, do, how do you get access to this paradise? Because that's what Jesus just offered him, right? And did you notice he didn't offer it to both of them? He only offered it to one of them. How do I get access to this paradise too? Because my life is not paradise and I don't think yours is either. How do we get this access? 
I want you to imagine that you are, at this point, Gary. You probably murdered someone or did something hectically bad to get crucified. You got nails through your wrists. You're bleeding like crazy. You're struggling to breathe because of the way the cross thing works. And you're like, and you know that you have way less than 24 hours of painful existence left. And you know that you're going to stand before the God of the universe and he's going to judge you. And you're like, this day is not going very well for me. And you turn to Jesus. You're like, Jesus, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus turns to you and says, truly, I tell you, today be with me in paradise. And you're like, wait, really? Like, for real? He's like, yeah. Um, at this moment, you would be, you would be, like, how is that possible? How is it possible that the murderer gets instant access to paradise? And here's a phrase I want you to, want you to get. The phrase is instantaneous reversal of fortune. That's what happens, right? The guy experiences an instantaneous reversal of fortune. That's what Jesus offers. And I'm actually hoping that that's not just his story, but it'll become your story by the end of tonight. If we've got any fans out there of our Mountain Sounds Music Festival, you know what I'm talking about? Good on you, Georgia. All right. Mountain Sounds Music Festival. If you don't know what it is, huge music festival on the central coast. They get some big acts in, heaps of fun, all that kind of stuff. The only problem is for most of the people in the room that there is a barrier to access. The barrier is it's an 18 plus event. And so if you go to the you go to the security guard at the front and you go to the ticket people and you've got a ticket and they're like, yo, show me your ID. And you're like, oh, my ID doesn't say I'm 18. They're going to say, no deal. You aren't coming in here. You cannot have access to Mountain Sounds Festival. And you'd be like, please, I know all the songs. I know every, I've got my festival gear on. I like lied to my parents so I could come and like, please let me in. And the guard's going to be like, nah, man, you, you need to be 18. But imagine this instantaneous reversal of fortunes. Imagine the lead singer of the main band kind of sees this from afar. And for some reason, they decide to take pity on you. And they come up to you. They put their hand on your shoulder. And they eyeball the security guard. And they say, Oi, she's with me. He's with me. At which point, you eyeball the security guard. And you're like, yeah. And you walk straight past into the festival, and you just got instantaneous reversal of fortunes. You just got access because one person took pity, had mercy on you, and that person happened to have the power to get away with it, happened to have the power to make that happen. Come back to the cross with me. Because what Gary receives is instantaneous reversal of fortunes, and that can be your story Two, how is that even possible? How does that work? As we, as we start to close up, I need to show you two things. I need to show you how that works from Jesus' end and how that works from your end. I need to show you Jesus' bit and your bit in this ridiculous trade, this instantaneous reversal of fortunes. So what you'll see here is that the crosses are not all the same. Jesus' cross is, is we're going we're gonna to call it kind of clean. We're going to call it like no sin attached. It's all just a symbol. Don't read too deep into it. Now, 
Jesus here has no sin. He has no record of wrongs. He actually is there unjustly. Did you see it in a little bit of the Bible? They say, we're here justly, but he's done nothing wrong. He's there perfectly. And the only way that either of these guys had any shot is because Jesus is up there on the cross. And because Jesus went through his own reversal when he died on the cross, and he took on our sin, he became sin for us, that makes it possible for us also to go through an instantaneous reversal of fortunes. (laughs) That's what I wanted to happen. He makes it possible for us to go through an instantaneous reversal of fortunes. But did you notice that it didn't work for everyone? Another level. What's the difference between these two people? And this is where it comes to our bit. This is Jesus' bit. This is our bit. Now, I know they're the wrong way around, but you get the point, right? That one of the guys recognized that Jesus had a kingdom. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He recognized Jesus is actually a king. And this world is his kingdom. God created this world and we live in it breathing his air, even though so often we reject him and live as if he didn't exist. But what happens is that he repents. And he says, remember me. When you come into your kingdom. And he asks Jesus for this instantaneous reversal of fortune. And did you notice that's all he did? He didn't do anything else. Because he only had like less than 24 hours of life to live. And he was stuck on a cross for them. He didn't have any chance to go and straighten up and fly right. He didn't have any chance to go and make right all the things that he'd done wrong. He didn't have any chance to go through some kind of moral transformation or become like this awesome moral guy. All he did was ask Jesus. All he did was look to the cross. All he did was ask for pity and mercy in order for Jesus to grant him an instantaneous reversal of fortune. And that could be your story too. Here's the pointy end of today, and I'm about to finish. I'm going to ask you to make this your story too, and to become a Christian. This is the most important thing you can do with your life. Without doing this, you will not gain access to paradise. I'm speaking bluntly and I'm speaking seriously because this is blunt and this is serious. And this is the pointy end of the gospel. This has nothing more important than it. Your relation to God and which criminal you're more like. Will you just mock Jesus like the first guy did? Will you reject him? Or will you recognize that Jesus has a kingdom, that we don't live in it, recognize that you need to repent? And will you ask Jesus to remember you? But the crazy news of the gospel, the crazy news of grace that relieves our fear of God is that simply by asking, 
Jesus will grant you today in 2017, just like he did 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, an instantaneous reversal of eternal fortune and grant you into access of that paradise that is not this life. And some of you will say, I just need more time to think about it. I need to put this off for a little bit longer. But I've seen so many high schoolers who have put it off and they keep putting it off and they permanently put it off. Don't let that be you because this is serious and blunt and pointy. This matters for your eternity, who you're like. Will you ask Jesus to remember you? I hope that you'll forgive my seriousness and the honesty with which I've tried to speak. But this matters so much more than everything else it does.